Good morning. I am so excited to be back to share with you what God has been placing on my heart. Um, if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Isaiah chapter 6. So the book of Isaiah chapter 6. And when you reach there, if you please stand in body or in spirit as we read God's word together this morning. Isaiah chapter 6. I should turn there too. Hear these words from Isaiah chapter 6. We'll be going to verse 9, partially. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated on a throne, high and exalted, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphs, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, With two, they covered their feet, and with two, they were flying, and they were calling to one another, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and the thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried. I am ruined. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Then one of the seraphs flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. With it, he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? And I said, Here am I. Send me. He said, Go and tell this people. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. So when I was growing up, if you looked at my report cards from uh, grades kindergarten through 12, does anybody want to take a guess what would be a common theme for talkative? Yes. That was 50%. The other 50% was I couldn't stay out of my, I couldn't stay in my seat. I was a, it got me in trouble a lot growing up. I was, believe it or not, I was a very talkative child. Some of you find that really hard to believe, but it was. Last week when Pastor Nick was talking about like him growing up and like his report card saying that he was a talkative person, I was like, I can really relate. Because if you look at my report cards from grades, kindergarten, through my senior year, teachers would say, you know, he's a good student. He just doesn't know when to stop talking, and he doesn't know when to stay in his seat. Like, he's always wandering around class. And that was so true. I would grow, I would, growing up in class, I'd be talking to the person next to me. The cleaning person would walk by, and I'd be talking with them. Uh, the principal would come in, observe the classroom, and I'd be talking to the principal. I'd walk around. I'd go pick up a book. I'd go whatever. I was always doing something. And for the longest time, I always thought that that was a bad thing because like, looking back, like, teachers are, are trying to maintain a classroom of 25 to 30 students, and to have that one, that one, like, punk kid who doesn't listen, who's, like, not saying his seat, 
And the thing about it was like me like, like speaking and like standing up would distract other students. And next you know it, like the whole classroom wants to start talking and start walking around. And so growing up, I always thought that by me speaking a lot, by me talking a lot, was a bad thing. And I always thought it was a bad thing. And I always like felt that I wasn't in a way good enough compared to the other students. Because they stay quiet, they stay in their seats. Why can't I do that? I just literally could not stay in my seat and I could not stop talking. In fact, this was even not just at school, this was also at home. This was also at church. I remember one time at the church I grew up in, in Pomona, uh, I remember just being like just very fidgety and like trying to talk and like walk around and stuff. I'll never forget my dad sat me down. We got home, I was like probably five years old. My dad sat me down and said, If you can stay seated for five minutes, you can do whatever you want today for five minutes. And I said, just stay in your seat for five minutes. And I remember sitting, like, sitting in our living room couch and, like, could not keep still. I was, like, all over the place. And, like, I lasted three and a half minutes. And I couldn't do anything I wanted that day. Um, but growing up, I always thought, I said, I think that was a bad thing. But as, I, as we look at scriptures, we look and we get in depth at who, we, who the stories are talking about, we can see some, a picture that's very, that's very clear. And it's, it's amazing that God chooses people who are quiet, like Moses, people who are afraid to speak. And God picks people who talk a lot. And so as I, as I, as I dive into God's word, I am comforted in knowing that, that God uses all walks of life for his purpose. That God uses people of all types of different gifts to bring forth his mission, to bring forth and build his kingdom. And one of those people we're talking about this morning of pillars of faith is Isaiah. And as we talk about Isaiah, there's some things about Isaiah that I, I find fascinating. First of all, the first thing I find fascinating about Isaiah is the fact that Isaiah speaks of a, of a savior some 1,500 years before Jesus comes. And he talks about this throughout the book of Isaiah. But this morning, uh, one of the things I want to talk and share with you about the book of Isaiah is found in chapter 6. And I love how in chapter 6 it starts off, <coughs> excuse me, in verses 1 through 4. I'm just going to read verses 1 through 4 really quick. And it says this, uh, as I'm going to start at verse 2. So uh, above him, he, so Isaiah sees, it, uh, sees the Lord, and above him were seraphs, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying. And they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. That sounds like one of the best worship sessions I have ever heard, can think of. It's amazing. We look, at, we look at this, and in the presence of God, he is surrounded by a, worshipers. In the presence of God, God is surrounded by worshipers. And as we gather, we have an opportunity to join in that chorus. We have an opportunity together to join in that chorus to worship the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Every time that I gather with more than two people in worship, that thought comes to my mind that I am not just singing with this group here, but I am joining in one voice, in one accord with people around this world as as well as those in glory that are worshiping the king. 
And we had to recognize that God is a holy God and in his presence requires worship. And as we look at what they're singing, they're singing, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. They're repeating this over and over and over again. And I love it, some, I love it when we gather and we sing songs that repeat. And I think at times we kind of like, why are we singing the song over and over again? But I think there's so much power in repetition. Because in repetition, we, are, we can dig deeper, we can sink into what we are truly singing. In repetition, there is power. In repetition, it allows us to understand what we are singing and why we are singing this. We are singing holy, holy, holy. Why? Because the Lord God Almighty is holy. There is an internal repetition of holy, holy, holy. We see this also in Revelation when John gets the vision too. And he sees the kingdom... And what are the angels singing up there as well? Holy, holy, holy. This is a continuous thing. This is a continuous worship. And we see this, that in God's presence, there is a holy choir that repeats worship, that repeats the same words over and over again. Why? Is it because of for them? No, it's because of they are giving God praise. It is not about them. It is about what they are giving to God. And in that time, they are worshiping. And, it, and not even time. It's outside of time. They are worshiping the Lord God Almighty because his presence requires it. We serve a holy God. And they are singing with authority and power. How do we know this? Because the building that Isaiah is in, he claims that it shakes. The doorposts shake and the thresholds are moving. There is power behind their worship. There is power by the words they are singing. So much, in fact, that it shakes the place in which he is in. God is so holy that he requires worship. And as we worship, when we, when they, when we are in worship with God, there is power in that. And we see that it shakes the place that Isaiah is in. And he's like, what is going on here? This is not, like, this is something that he's just overwhelmed by. There is something that is unique about God's presence. And it is that. It's overwhelming. It's an overwhelming thing. When we are before God, God's presence, him being so holy, overwhelms us. Why? Because we're sinners and God is good. And there's times in our life in which we really question that. There's times in our lives in which we struggle. God, are you good? And I can only imagine what Isaiah is thinking in this time as he sees the Lord God Almighty and he looks and there's a train, his robe, that flows and covers the whole room. And there are seraphs above him that are singing this chorus over and over again. And, it, and the room is shaking and there's smoke that comes in it. And he's just standing there thinking, what? Who am I? He's overwhelmed so much, in fact, that his overwhelmness causes him to stop and look at himself. In verse 5. It says, Isaiah says, woe to me, woe to me, I cried. 
I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. <coughs> what happens when unholy meets the holy God? As we look at passages in the past of Exodus, we see, or in Deuteronomy, we see like when the Ark of the Covenant would move, we see in fact one story in which the artifact, what God touched was, was placed in an ark. And as the ark was moved and almost fell at one point, a priest goes to push it to save it from falling. And what happens? He falls dead. Some of us are like, that's that doesn't sound comforting. That that doesn't sound good. How does that how does why are you preaching that? I'm trying to prove the point here that God is holy. Even the things in which he has touched is holy. And God requires worship. God is a holy God, so much in fact that it overwhelms Isaiah, and he realizes that he is a sinner. In fact, Moses could not look at the bush directly because of the holiness of it. But yet here is Isaiah who literally sees the king seated on the throne. And if we looked at past this past, we should realize at this moment, Isaiah should have fallen dead. Isaiah should have just went, should have fallen dead. He's overwhelmed in this moment so much, in fact, that he even, he even admits that he goes, I am a man of unclean lips. He recognizes his own sin. I am a man of unclean lips. I am not holy. I'm not good enough to be here. And then he says something else that's really interesting. I live among people of unclean lips. He, he brings up something that's never really talked about in the Western church, and that's corporate sin. That's, not, that's something we don't really hear about. We, we, when we talk about sin, we, man, we mainly focus on individual sin. And yes, there is a role in which individual sin, we, we sin. We are all sinners. And we all sin. But very, very rarely do we ever talk about corporate sin. A, a group of people sinning. And we look, and this is, there's a common theme throughout Scripture in which the Israelites, a group of people, sin together. And how God works in that community and how God works in a community. And Isaiah recognizes, and Isaiah speaks of this, and he says, I'm just not a sinner. The people who I live life with, they're unclean. Isaiah threw them under the bus. He's like, I'm a sinner, but so are they. And I live among them. And like he's overwhelmed by everything that's going on. He's overwhelmed by the presence of God Almighty as well as his sins. There's times in my life when I stop and I have to remind myself and think of the goodness of my Father. When I think of the goodness of Jesus, there's times in which I stop and I have to sit there and realize, God, why are you calling me into something? Have you ever experienced that before where you're, like, you're perhaps like in your, in your living room or you're at work or you're hiking, wherever you may find that place of just relax, of peace, of rest, and you find yourself just thinking back about what you've done. You think about like where you feel like God is calling you to, and you just sit there and you ponder what is, what is happening in our life, um, reflect. Uh, and do you ever just get overwhelmed by what God has done? 
I know I have talked with some of you before and how some of you have shared that there's, in your morning devotions, you think about what God has done for you in your life. And you think about those moments and those moments can bring you to tears and you are overwhelmed by the love of God. Because when I, when I am going through my trials, when I go through my seasons of disappointment, my seasons of defeat, and my seasons of like tiredness, I find myself reflecting way more. And there's times in which I find myself either at the lake fishing or in the salt water or in my room or in my living room or even outside of my garage. Or I find myself in a place just thinking about what God has done for me. And I think that I remember what God has done. I think of all the good things God has done. Even those times where at the moment of, they didn't feel good. They felt difficult, hard. And I always wondered, how am I going to get through that? But every time that came up, God always showed up. Always showed up. And God spoke in powerful ways. God would send somebody to speak truth in my life. Or God would show up and provide in ways that I didn't think were possible. Because in that moment, I realized, Lord, I am a sinner. Why would you use me? Why would you, why would you, why would you use us? We're not worthy. Lord, I yelled at like 15 people on the freeway today. And I can't repeat half the words I said. Like, Lord, like, why would you use us? Why would you, why would you choose us? And God says, because I love you. Because God chose you, not because you deserve it. But because God's going to show you what he can do even with brokenness. And Isaiah is experiencing that. He's overwhelmed by the goodness of the Father. He is overwhelmed by the power of God. And he realizes that, God, like, I can't be here. I'm not good enough. I'm a sinner. I should fall dead right now. And as he says that, as he says that, a process of purification comes over Isaiah. A seraph comes over and grabs a stone. I'm going to, verses six, verses six and seven says this. Then one of the seraphs slew to me with a life coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. With it he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. It's very important that we recognize what is happening here. Because this is exciting, okay? God is, in the, God is up front, the throne, okay? There's a choir around him, worshiping him. And at front of him, there is an altar. A, an altar of sacrifice that is, that, is, that is for the Lord Almighty. And as Isaiah is in the presence of holiness, and he recognizes it, he speaks of it. I am unholy. I live among unholy people. I am not worthy. Woe is me because I have seen the king. Also meaning I should be dead right now. And the seraph comes down. One of the seraphs comes down, grabs a stone. In the, in the NIV it says coal. In other passages and even in the Hebrew, it, the word can translate as hot stone. So a firm stone, not like those barbecue charcoal things that we get that break as soon as they get hot. But this is something that's eternal. So it's hard, it's stone. And the seraph grabs it from the altar. 
he grabs something from the altar and he comes and he places the, the hot stone on Isaiah's lips. And he says, this has cleansed you. Your sins have been atoned for. Now, it's pretty important that you recognize that he places it on the lips of Isaiah and not the heart or the hands. Because this is foreshadowing perhaps something that Isaiah is going to do. We see, we see in, in the Bible, in the Old Testament, these different roles. We see priests and we see prophets. A, a priest acted on behalf of the people to God. Okay? So the priest acted on behalf for the people and presented their offerings to God. A prophet acted on behalf of God and spoke to the people. And so Isaiah is given, this hot, this hot stone is placed on Isaiah's lips on which the words in which he will be speaking, it's a foreshadowing of the words in which he will be speaking. And he says, the seraph says, your sins have been atoned for. The words that came, or the, the, the stone that came from an altar, keep that in mind, the stone that came from an altar, placed on the lips of Isaiah, cleansed him. And it made him worthy. It made him worthy. And there's a process. This is a process in which being cleansed, a hot coal. And when I, when I read that, I was wondering, did that hurt? Like, did that hurt? Like, I don't know about you, but I have not placed a hot stone in my mouth. I have not gone out to, like, the backyard when it's, like, 110 degrees and seen a stone that's sitting in the sun and be like, let's try this. Let's try that. Nope, I've never done that because that doesn't sound pleasing. That sounds painful, like, especially on the lips because it's, like, super sensitive. I can only imagine that time. Did this hurt? Did this, like, was I, what was Isaiah thinking when he sees the seraph coming up to him and, like, place, I, I, did Isaiah go, like, like, did he do that? Did he flinch? Did he worry about that? Or was he just there, like, okay, I'm ready for whatever happens, happens? I don't know. But what we do know is that, it happened. We do know that it happened. We don't know how Isaiah first responded. We don't know if Isaiah like flinched a little bit. We don't know if Isaiah was like, all right, go. Or if he was just like, wait a minute, what are you doing? We don't know that. What we do know is that it happened. And it, and it comforts me knowing that. And I'll explain to you in just a little bit why that comforts me in knowing that. As we look, as we move forward a little bit, in verses 8 and 9, it says, Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? And I said, Here am I. Send me. <coughs> he said, Go and tell this people. So Isaiah just received atonement. He received, he has seen the goodness of the Father. He has seen the holiness of God. He recognizes and experiences like him being a sinful person. He is cleansed by a stone from the altar. And his response, and then God says, whom shall I send? Who, who am I going to send? And Isaiah Right away, it, it goes right away. It says, Isaiah says, here I am. Send me. 
Isaiah recognizes what just took place. Isaiah's been through a process. And in that process of going from recognizing the Father and the holiness of the Father to realizing his sin, to realizing that he's not worthy to be and then being atoned for by a rock on the altar, and then to being called, Isaiah says, here am I. Send me. Send me. And the Lord responds and says, go and tell the people this. Isaiah is summoned to go and speak truth to a group of people. And as we, if, if, and if we were to continue reading that passage, it's not necessarily very comforting. In fact, Isaiah, at one point in, the, in chapter 6, says, how long do I say this to them? And the Lord says, until I say when. Until I say when. I remember being a kid, and my parents would tell me to go clean the backyard. And I'd be like, well, how long? Until I say when. I'm like, but it's clean. No, clean it again. But it's already clean. No, clean it again. It's that repetition again. It's that repetition that we see. And he's asking Isaiah, he's like, when, when should I stop saying this message? Like, just give me a heads up. And the Lord tells Isaiah, until when I say when. Until I tell you to stop. Until I tell you that it's time to go. After experiencing such a thing like this, after experiencing such holiness, after experiencing the goodness of the Father, of being atoned for, it's not possible to say no. Let me say that again. As Isaiah was in this place, as he saw the holiness of God, as he saw what God was doing, and he saw that his sins were atoned for, I don't know about you, but I feel like there'd be times in which we would want to say, no, God. Like, I, I can't do that. I'm still trying to figure out what just happened. But it's not possible to say no when you've experienced the holiness and the trueness and the love of God. You can't run from that. You can't run from that. And as we see that, we realize that God will give us, like Isaiah sees that, and that the words... And the stone that touched his lips, knowing that, if he thinks about that, knowing that the, the stone that touched his lips are going to be words in which God has given him. They're going to be words in which are not his own, but of God. The response of this is not to run away. The response to experiencing the Father and being atoned for is to go. And this is why, this is why I'm afraid. I'm scared to say yes. This is why I'm scared to say yes. And I think many of us here can, can relate to that. Where we've seen God at work in our life in powerful ways. We've seen God provide. We've seen God show up. In the darkest hour of our night, we have seen and felt the comforting love of God. And our response is, God, thank you. Thank you for being there. Thank you for providing. Thank you for showing up. And sometimes God is calling us to something deeper. And maybe some of us wrestle, like, oh, wait a minute. 
not yet. And God's like, no, yet, now. That's why I'm scared to say yes, because I don't know where God is leading. I don't know the words in which God has told me to speak. I don't know where the places that God is saying to go to or the people to interact with. And that's why I'm, I know for myself, I'm afraid to say yes. And every time I have said yes, God has shown up in powerful ways. God has shown up in mighty ways. But there's always that, a little bit of that fear. There's always that discomfort. And you're always wondering, okay, am I, am I stepping out in faith right now? Am I, am, I, am I doing this? If you wrestle with that, if you walk, if you're in that season where you're not sure if God is calling you to something deeper, it's okay to be afraid. Because we realize that we are sinners. We realize that we're not good enough. We realize that like, this, like, I'm not good enough for this. But as we look at Isaiah, if we look at the passage which we just dissected and looked at, we realize that God has already atoned for us. That God has sent his son on the cross to take away our sins. And because of Christ's sacrifice on that cross, because of that sacrifice, we have been made worthy to go and speak truth into the community, into the lives in which we live by. We have been atoned for. We have been set free. We have encountered the holiness of God because of what happened on the cross. But what happened three days later when the tomb was empty? God showed up. God was already there. God is already at work. And that's what comforts me even more, allowing me to say yes, is knowing that God the Father Almighty has already atoned, for, has already paid for my sins. And that I am atoned for because he sent Jesus. He sent Christ to die for my sins. And because of that, I can say, send me. Because of Christ's sacrifice on the cross, we can say, send me. The rock from the altar was a, the altar was a holy place. And it, took, it had to take something holy to make Isaiah worthy. Christ in his holiness had to die so that me and you could be worthy to speak God's word, to speak truth into our community, to share the love in which no other love can come close. The love of the Father. Christ has equipped us. Christ has equipped you to speak truth. Christ has equipped you to spread his love. There are many ways for us to do this. One of them that I want to share with you about, uh, in the next couple of weeks, we're going to be starting signups for prayer partners. And what and we've done this in the past, and we're, we're, we're going to revamp this up. And this is an opportunity that all of us can be involved in. From those who, who have problems walking, to those who are just learning how to walk, to those in between, this is a way in which we can just pray for one another and walk with the future generation. Perhaps God is calling you to step into that. 
to step into being a prayer partner. Perhaps God is calling you to step out in deeper in other areas. Perhaps God is calling you to extend that forgiveness to somebody. Perhaps God is calling you to pick up that phone to call them or to drive by their house. Perhaps God is calling you to have conversations in which you're not ready to have. If that's you, God has already given you the words to speak. Let us be reminded that as we go through our days, we have experienced the goodness of the Father. Though none of us have seen God sit on the throne and have heard the holy, holy, holy choir, but we've encountered Christ and we've encountered his love. And as we go from this place, let us be reminded, like Isaiah, that after encountering a holy God, our response is not no, but our response is yes, send me. And we can do so because of Jesus. When you think you're not worthy, when you think you're not good enough, be reminded that you have been paid by a price. By Christ. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you so much for this morning. We thank you, Father God, for what you're doing. And Lord, we pray that as we continue on with our day and our week, our month, our year, and our life, Father God, we pray that you guide us, that you direct us, that you remind us, Father God, in our darkest moments, that you sit on that throne and that you are in control. Lord, may our posture be like Isaiah of submission. May we realize that we are sinners. May we seek you in all that we do. Lord, work in us. Guide us and direct us. May the words we speak, Father God, may not be of our own, but may they be yours. Lord, in our moments of weakness, be our strength. We love you and we worship you. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.